A vision without execution is just a dream. Welcome to Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. Like the show title says, Chris speaks with transformative experts and business leaders who share their successes, failures, and leadership tips that will help you transform your business into a success story. Now, here's your host, Chris Elias. Good morning, everyone. Welcome again to Transformative Experts. I'm Chris Elias. I'm your host today, and I am pleased to invite my friend and colleague, Chris Homewood, with us. Say hi, Chris. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Chris. How are you today? I'm doing very well, thanks. How about you? Good, good. Um, You know, I'm looking forward to having a good conversation. I always enjoy our talks together. And um, Chris, Chris is on the the line with us. Uh, He is, uh, he's definitely a transformative expert as you're going to get from this, um, this conversation. Um, You know, as as I've gotten to know Chris over the last years, he shows a lot of great leadership traits, which include, you know, some really, really good energy and some positive focus, but also focusing on a lot of what we would call the right things versus the wrong things when it comes to truly leading an organization. Uh, but, you know, I think before we get into some of those details, let's get to know you a little bit better, Chris. Uh, give us your life story in a few minutes. Awesome. Thank you. And that that's your, you're very complimentary. I, I couldn't do it without you. Um, so, yeah, I, I went to the University of San Diego with a degree in English literature and uh, was a Marine Corps officer for about six and a half years out of school. Uh, I was an artillery officer, so I got to see all the sandy places in the world. Um, from there, I was allured to retail. I was picked up by Circuit City and uh, worked, worked with them uh, in California for a couple of years in a couple of different roles. Um, transitioned from there over to Target and did roles in, in, the, in a store as a store manager, then into a district leader, uh, then transitioned over to a completely new business in loss prevention uh, for all the West Coast stores, Uh, then moved over to supply chain and Target. So I got to see a bunch of different business approaches uh, in in the Target business units. I was recruited over to Ross Dress for Less um, and was back in stores there, back in California, um, and then uh, was asked to be the VP of operations for Ross, so had all of... um, all the stores and we did all the, the physical assets and all the P&L and all the capital um, and, and planning over there for Ross. Uh, great experience. And then uh, about two years ago, was recruited over to Trimark, uh, which does food service equipment and distribution. Um, and I thought it was a really cool opportunity. One, because, uh, you know, it's one more thing that I hadn't done yet. Um, but also it allowed, it's given me the opportunity to, to pull all the different things that I've done together uh, into one role, essentially. Um, and so I've been with this organization now for uh, just about two years, just about two years. Um, I live in the San Francisco area. Uh, I'm an avid outdoorist uh, or outdoor enthusiast. So this uh, the current situation of not being able to really go anywhere and having national parks closed is is uh, is tough. Um, I've got a 16-year-old daughter. Uh, so we're in the, the throes of virtual high school, uh, which is really interesting. Um, and yeah, I've been married to my wife from, from college. So family time and, uh, and being with them is, is usually what I'm, what you can find me doing when I'm not working. Good. I, I know you guys, you, you really do like those hiking trips too, don't you? I do. I do. And there's something about being disconnected from the cell phone, um, that literally nobody can find you. Uh, but then kind of the energy that you get from just being, being outside, being in nature, it's a healthy place, healthy place for me. So, I mean, have you been, have you been that way your whole life? Uh, or is that, did you learn that in the Marine Corps? I mean, when, when, when did you kind of start discovering that? And what does it actually do for you? Yeah, that's a great question. So my family, um, we grew up camping. So there was always, you know, a lot of out, outdoor activities. Then um, in the Marines, we're outdoor all the time. Uh, you know, I, I was in artillery and I worked with the infantry units. So, you know, we, we weren't in buildings. We were outside, outside. And I would tell you that after, uh, after I left the Marine Corps, the last thing I wanted to do was be outside. So, you know, uh, I was gravitating more towards hotels and things with roofs and indoor plumbing, um, you know, right after that time. And then I think, it, you know, it, it kind of gets under your skin. Uh, discovered backpacking. Uh, so just that opportunity to be able to carry everything that you need to sustain yourself, you know, for anywhere between five to seven days, um, is, uh, it gets, you know, it's kind of gets the caveman in me out, uh, which is, which is kind of fun. Um, and, uh, and 
and it is it's just been kind of sticky uh, yeah like i said there, there's something about getting outside that it just changes your perspective um the world seems a little bit easier things seem to make sense um and it's really a, a healing i think for lack of a better way to describe it and i've dragged my daughter out on a couple too so to get a 16 year old girl out into the wilderness without her phone it's magic it's magic. I'll bet it is. I'll bet it is. Yeah. And so, you know, if you think about your, your path to leadership, right. And, and culture, I mean, it's maybe kind of a weird question trying to, trying to draw it together, but, but how does, how does that time, that alone time, that, that remote time, the disconnected time allow your, your, your brain and energy toward what you have to do in the workplace? It, leadership's a hard job. Um, and there's a lot of demands and there's, a lot of things that you have to do uh, and there's a lot of things that you want to do and the ability to prioritize is absolutely absolutely imperative um, and what i found is that alone time and that quiet time they become almost reset buttons when you can really clear out the noise of of the the ringing phones or the emails showing up in your inbox both literally and as metaphors and get a chance to reflect um, to process, to just let things swim around in your head a little bit without something else getting in the way. Um, and what I found is a sense of clarity, um, certainly a sense of, uh, you know, you kind of renew your purpose. Um, and it, and it, it helps me reset um, and re-engage and remember the things that I was setting out to do, um, which, which, is, which is actually the stuff that's really fun about leadership. Yeah, you know... Um I myself have always found it important to, to have that quiet time. I mean, you know, it's mm. the way my mind works. There's always this other energy and all this stuff that's going on. And I, I think that sometimes you can get so wrapped up in the day-to-day of what's going on, the fires you have to put out, all the thing that's happening, that that, that noise almost becomes constant. And it, it's too easy to get used to that. Um, and, and I don't know how yeah. you think strategically, how you think big picture, how you think long term without at least having some time to, to go away. And, and, and for me, it's, it's always just to help, even if it's just going outside for a few minutes for lunch and, and just just getting away from everybody and everything to just let the noise quiet down. You know, it's, it's just yeah. so essential. Yeah, and it's like the paradox of leadership, right? Like we're the, we've got ideas, we've got plans, we've got missions. We're always, you know, looking and thinking and there's always something, you know, that we're trying to work through. And while that's part of the, the fun and the joy and the task of a job, it's that paradox of, well, how do I make sure that it, there are the right things? Or like you said, to have a moment just to marinate on some of the stuff and make sure it's the right thing. Yeah. So, you know, so then as, as you think about that, the right thing, right? One of the things that you just said um, what is the right thing, right? One of the things I, I bump into a lot, uh, you know, people use the term micromanaging and, and, and mm -hmm. really, I don't actually believe there's any such thing as managing. I think there's managing and there's leading, right? And, and the difference mm -hmm. between the two is kind of what you delegate, how you delegate, how you interact with people, you know, and an old saying um, is, is that, you know, managers delegate tasks, right? They're, they they control things, they drive things, and leaders really are, stay more focused on the results and what's trying to happen, and they don't get into the day-to-day nitty-gritty. Um, yet, you know, in, in, in our practice, and a lot of the work I do, I come across a lot of people in leadership positions that are really just managing. They're dictating mm -hmm. the day-to-day. And I think some of that is a habit that we build, okay? So if you think about it, you know, you, know, you started in the Marine Corps. Uh, mm -hmm. Military forces are heavy managed, you know, managed thing when you're lower in the ranks. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you know, privates are managed every single day. Corporals are managed every Sergeants are world-class managers, Mm -hmm. You know, and yet they have to start thinking on their feet, but they're giving directions. Now, as you move towards lieutenant, you move up, you have to start shifting. If you've got a general mm -hmm. who's trying to manage every operation, you're dead, right? It can't work. So in the military, mm -hmm. I, think it, I think that they've naturally developed the structure, yet in the business world, you know, you start out and you're managed all the time as a first-level worker, and then, um, and then you know, you, you do really well. And so the first job you get, you get you know, management position, mm -hmm. what do you do? You do what you've learned, right? You, you manage right. the people and you make all their controls and, and, and the better you get at it, the more you move up in the organization until you're at a point where you're pulling all the strings at the top of an organization and everybody's like robots and, and all the control, all the accountability falls on your shoulders. Yet mm -hmm. here you are, 
right? You mentioned Trimark, for instance, uh, your current, right. but you've had some you've had some pretty big positions in big companies, and this is a big mm-hmm. position. Um, how do you make that shift? How do you make that leap? How do you move towards uh, getting results focused, and how do you build a team that can operate under that? that purview because it would be very, very easy to stay in management mode, but then everything falls on your shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's funny that in, uh, let me touch on the military pieces that the different um, branches of service kind of have different philosophies of leadership too. And I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that. But uh, when you look at the army and the Marine Corps, and there was a great article in the Harvard business review about that, about you have um, People leadership, people-centric leadership, and system-centric leadership, like the Air Force and, the, and some of the naval forces. Um, the, the, I think what it comes down to, if, if there is a pithy way to describe it, is what is the value center? What is the culture that you want to build? If you want to build a culture where there are these hard checks and balances – Um, And there might be elements or there might be different jobs or different moments in time when that's important. But if you want to build a culture where you're the center of gravity and you are the only one that can make decisions, and that might come down to to your skill set, maybe some, uh, you know, maybe ego, maybe, you know, just a a lack of experience, then that's what you're going to get. So the, the genesis of why and how you build those cultures really comes down to the culture. If you want an organization, and, and I'll use, I'll go back to the Marine Corps for a minute. So if you look at how the, the Marine Corps is, as an organization is structured, is that information and authority is delegated down to the lowest level possible. Because if you imagine what you're training for, you're training for a asymmetrical and very dynamic, quote, workplace, right? If you think about a battlefield or, or even, you know, um, crisis intervention or things like that. So you have to be able to have people at the at the front lines make good decisions. So there isn't time or space or even technology for a private or a corporal or a sergeant to be able to call back to higher headquarters every time they see something different. So you create a culture where you you give them their their limits. Um, you know what are their what is their operating space? They they can operate within the space and they know what decisions they have to make. And then you give them what's called a final result desired. So you can't go this far left. You can't go this far right. And at the end of the day, you need to be there. Everything else. You know, if you run into a problem, if you run into trouble, certainly call back and ask for help or get what you need. But you you are you are empowered, but also expected to make those decisions to deliver on that objective. Now, a private space, certainly very small, you know, sergeants, corporals, it, it kind of expands from there. But I think the workplace is the same way. And what's been really uh, energizing for me and what's been really fun is when you start to talk to people that way, even if it is a, you know, salesperson on the floor in a target, right? It's their bunch of racks or it's their aisle. You know, you give them and you counsel them and give them resources and you give them expectations um, and then you reward them for the work that they do. Like, I'm not going to tell them where to put certain things, uh, you know, or, or, or how to do their work. I'm not going to tell them to do this section first and this section second. And, and what that does is there's ownership. Um, there is engagement, there's pride, because now they did it with their own ideas. And that's a, that's a flywheel. Like, that builds inertia throughout an organization. And then here's the, here's the really dirty secret about all this. I don't have to do that. Like, I go get to do stuff that I want to go do. I don't want to, you know, yeah. and, that, and that's kind of the fun of it, right? Like, I don't want to, maybe I'm not interested in standing there and, and telling someone where to put things. But that means that I go get to do other stuff. Well, it's funny, you know, I, I, I laugh and, and, and I want to talk in, about this a little bit more as we go on, yeah. but, but, you know, y- you make the comment, I get to go do what I want to do. Yeah. What happens if you've got a guy at the top, you know, a person at the top who, what they want to do is they want to control everything. What do you do with the control freaks? How do you, how do you break them free of it? Cause, cause for a lot of people, you know, they, 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 they act like if I don't do it, it's not going to get done right. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, if it's your if it's your boss, if it's your supervisor, that's really challenging. I mean, you can you can show them the way that you're doing it. You can offer to give them feedback if there's you know if there's a if that relationship exists or if that trust exists in the organization. Um, but you, you hit the nail on the head. Is that th- those leaders? They tend to. This is what it looks like, in my opinion. They're the ones that are working 24/7. They don't have time for their family. They don't have time to go backpacking. They never take a vacation because they're so wrapped up in the things that 
that they feel are important, but they're unable to to release. Um, and I think the long-term impact of that is that who's driving strategy? I mean, if the captain of the ship is is down there making food, like who's driving the bus? I mean, who's out setting the vision? You know, and, and there's a few jobs that um, one of the, the catchphrases or things I like to think about when I'm trying to teach leaders, this is that you, <clears throat> you have to do what only you can do first. So there, as a leader, there's only a couple of things that only I can do. I'm the only person that can be the husband to my wife. I'm the only person that can be the father to my daughter. But I'm also the only person, if I'm leading something, that can drive strategy. I'm the only, now I can take inputs and I can, but if I'm not doing that, nobody else is. Yeah. Scary. Yeah, and and um, and it's funny because again, I, how many leaders I've come across who say, "Ah, oh, I wish I had time to do this," and I get into their work, and I'm like, "What the heck are you doing? You're you're doing spreadsheets. Why are you spending two hours a day doing spreadsheets? You have somebody who you pay, you know, considerably less in an accounting department to do spreadsheets. Mm-hmm. How much are you paid if you figure your hour and you're doing this work? Stop doing. Well, it helps me think. No, it doesn't. All it does <laughs> is it wastes time. I mean, put the work where the work belongs. Um, we're at we're at a stage where we're going to have to take a couple minute break. Um, we'll continue this conversation in a few minutes, so um, be patient. Here's a couple words from some of our sponsors, and we'll be back in just a minute. Thanks. America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. True results happen where culture meets execution. The Execution Culture, co-written by our host Chris Elias, is designed to make your company smarter, faster, and stronger by sharing real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture. The book is available now on Amazon. Click the link on the show page. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity purpose and action. At Mexicute, we have over 100 years of combined experience meeting organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better, grow better. For a free consultation with Chris Elias, visit nexecutegroup.com. That's N-E-X-E-C-U-T-E group.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. So we're back with Chris Homewood. Um, Hello, Chris. I want to I want to go just a little bit deeper. You know, one of the things that um, that you and I were talking about just a minute ago during the break is how you know our behaviors really are learned when we're young, and our work behaviors obviously when we're new to the workforce. And for you, new to the workforce was the Marine Corps. And you know, your your story really was was really nice about how the Marine Corps. Um, you know, positioned you and, you know, you had your kind of your circle control and all that kind of stuff, but also forced you to do some thinking and delegate. Um, you know, and so if somebody's, somebody doesn't have the benefit of that and they haven't had, uh, you know, how, how do we get them to change? I, you know, so, so, you know, as a consultant, obviously I'm, I'm trying to do that. I was just working with a CEO the other day and he was kind of getting into micromanaging, very large organization. He was getting into micromanaging um, a team and, and I stopped and I said, well, why are you doing that? Why don't, why don't you just say, here's the goal, here's the date. You know, you, I pay you guys a lot of money to go do this. Go do it, right? Yet there seems to be kind of this, this fear to let go. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's the piece I'm, I guess I'm still a little bit stuck on. I'm wondering from your standpoint, how do, you, how do you help people? Like if you've got somebody working for you and you're grooming them for future leadership, how do you help mm-hmm. them see and understand the advantage of kind of letting go of control and pushing accountability down in their organizations? 
Yeah, absolutely. Can I, what, what was the answer when you asked your CEO why, why he or she was doing that? Uh, it, was more of a, it was more of a shrug and a sheepish smile. That's the good thing about using Zoom these days when we can't travel. But, um, but yeah, and, and it was kind of be expected because he, he knows the bad habit and we've been working on kind yeah. of breaking through that. But, um, but it, was, it was just kind of funny um, because, you know, I, I, I don't know, maybe I'm lazy. But I learned a long time ago, life is a lot easier to get people to do yeah. your work for you, right? Right, um, right. You know, but, but it's just, it, it is, again, you know, the, you get these really big egos sometimes of people who, who have won because of their control, and they just want to keep feeding that ego. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's, when you get someone that's doing that, um, it, one is recognizing it, like you said. Um, but I think some of this is is tapping into their value center on where do they think their value is. And, and for me, I think it starts with as people grow in the organization and as, as people are growing in their, um, in their career, helping them understand that the value that they brought to the organization when they were actually doing the skill is now different because the value is not the skill they do. The value is now their competence and their competencies around. So, you know, where before they were the one typing the memo. Now that's the skill. Now this, the competency is communication. Um, You know, if, if their skill is to make the widget, you know, and and that's their job and that's what they're responsible for. And then, you know, if they get into a leadership role, now their skill is in, or excuse me, now their competency is in process management. And it's that leap from skill-centered value, I think, to a competency-based model. And that, I think, is the first unlock where people understand what their value is. Because to your point, if I've been valued for doing this for so long, um, it's hard to shake. It's a habit. It becomes a habit. Uh, and and helping them undo that um, it takes, you know, it, it takes a, a it takes a mutual sort of agreement, right? I yeah. mean, you, you've seen it where even if you can see it, you point it out and then, but if the other person isn't willing to at least acknowledge that, which is where I think you get that value center, like, no, you're still valuable, but your value is different. Sure. Now, uh, obviously there are some people who are just not going to get there. Right. right. And so, right. you know, and, um, you know, uh, Jim Collins in good to great, right? And 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 I, you know, probably most listeners have have heard the the comment. You know, mm-hmm. you got to have the right people on the bus, and you got to get the wrong people off the bus. You also have to have the right yeah. people in the right seats. Um, but how do you even know you've got the right people or the wrong people or the right seats if you haven't defined what the bus, where, where the bus is going, and what the seat looks like? Right, right. right. And part of that is that competency. So, Mm -hmm. you know, how have you how have you managed that in the past and what do you do about it? Yeah, I I look, you know, for me, it's about really trying to understand what where that person is is deriving value from and then reinforcing when they do it right. Um, You know, people joke feedback's a gift um, and it certainly is. But I learned a while ago a concept called feed forward. So somebody does something, you know, hey, you did this really well in this moment, do that again. Or in a moment when you see someone behaving a certain way, like even something as simple as if you're in a meeting or you're on a Zoom call and you hear someone, you know, articulate something different instead of saying, yep, okay, I will do that. And it's a manager and that's what they're used to saying. I'll take that, I'll take that. If you hear them say, hey, great, here's what we need to get done by this date, who's got it? Like even in that moment with something as simple and and being conscious of that, will help reinforce that behavior. Um, and and it, there's no easy answer, man. It is work. <laughs> okay, so so all good advice. Now, here here's here's the question. Yeah. Has it ever backfired on you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and you joked about being lazy. Th- yeah. This is where, you know, you, you find that core competence. Um, the, the, the basics, people have to want to be there. They got to have good work ethics. You know, you, you got to have generally good people. Um, there was a time when uh, I was coaching, you know, or, or helping someone in my, and I'm trying to remember exactly where this was. Uh, I believe this is Circuit City. And it was a salesperson, and I was and helping them to be a sales manager. And I was coaching them on that delegation skill uh, and, and how to move information away from them and onto the teams. And that gave them time to do more, you know, leadership and development. And they just viewed that as it was more time for them to take time off and do nothing. Um, and, you know, that, that's that, you know, to your point about Jim Collins, that's the, all right, wrong guy on the bus. But it happens. It happens. It, it happened to me. It, I'm sure it's happened to you. And, and that's the risk of it. 
And maybe, Chris, to your point, that that's for those leaders that are still doing PowerPoints. They had it happen, and they just never want that to happen again. And it's like, well, you gotta you gotta go with it. Yeah, but I also see, you know, the the other problem is is that um, it, it's funny how many people in leadership positions I've met that 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 want to tell me the story about how strong and how tough they can be, and they they mm-hmm. they'll do what they need to, and then you find out the number of poor performers on their team because they like them. Mm-hmm. Or they can't hurt them. I, yeah, there was there was one in particular um, that that I was uh, you know we were kind of in kind of the, the exploratory process to to do mm-hmm. work with them and um, what he what he wanted was a company to come in and help them figure out how to put workarounds on this toxic person on a leadership team. And the problem was is I, he 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 really just didn't want to deal with the problem. And mm-hmm. we're certainly, we're not the kind of company that comes in about workarounds. We get that person off your team, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But, but just, he just didn't want to go there. He just didn't want to address it. And we ended up not working with him. But, but it was really funny. It's like, you're going to spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars working around somebody who is driv- driving eight players out of your organization, costing you who knows what, all because you can't deal with the fact that you need to fire this person, right? The wrong person. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and it blows me away, and I get it, it's hard. Um, As a leader, one of the things that, I mean, you always take very seriously is you're ending someone's career. If you just are not their career, but you're certainly ending their job. So I would never do that lightly, but my responsibilities uh, exude far beyond one person, Um, especially if you're trying to build a culture and build something that matters beyond just the dollars and cents of an organization. Yeah. Um, And it's it's hard, And, and if it ever got easy, then I shouldn't be a leader anymore. Like if it ever got easy to, to pull the trigger on someone like that, I, I that would be, I mean, I lost my soul and, and you know, that, that's, yeah. that's the wrong way to go as well. Well, and so, so, I mean, if I, if I read a little bit between the lines, there's almost like this checklist you have to go through, right? I mean, there is. you know, I, I, you know, one of the things I consider is, is when you have a, a, a poor performer or a C player, if you want to call them that, or you have the wrong person in the organization, there's, there's typically two reasons why the wrong person is in your organization. And neither one of them is really kind of their fault per se. Mm-hmm. One, you hired the wrong person to begin with. Right. Mm-hmm. Or the other is you took a person who had the potential of being a, a top performer and you turned him into the C player as, as a leader. Right. You've put too much on their shoulders. You've delegated them. You've put them in the wrong job. You've you've gone, you know, gone too far. And those are yeah. two different instances. I mean, sometimes you do hire the wrong person, somebody who's not aligned to the company core values, who doesn't have the work ethic, et cetera. But the, um, that piece about, um, you know, turning them into the C player, you know, I, I think you have to self-reflect before terminating and say, have I done everything I can do? Mm-hmm. Have mm-hmm. I done everything I can do to, to make sure this person, you know, is, has been given the chance. And I kind of, I, you know, the old baseball, the three strike rule, right? right you know, the first right. time they're, they're not performing, do we sit down and we, we talk about the performance and all that. But it's amazing how many, how many times I'll see somebody who wants to terminate somebody because they're, they're not performing. And I ask, well, what were their metrics? Well, I don't know. Right. Wait, wait a second. You're, 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 you're giving them a low grade, but you've never told them how you're measuring their success. What's that mm-hmm. all about? Or worse yeah. yet, again, the person who wants to keep them, who's never put metrics or measurements and who's never really coached them. I mean, by the time you terminate somebody, it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. Right. To anybody. To anybody. And kind of go back to your question about what do you look for? Um, lead, learn, listen. So if somebody has the desire to lead, the desire to learn, and the desire to listen, that, that for me is the baseline, right? So if some, the desire piece, like they have some sort of an internal spark, if they want to learn uh, or start with lead, if they want to lead, then that doesn't mean necessarily that they have to have a leadership title, but they're just anywhere in the organization, they're looking for ways to get out front. Um, if they have a desire to learn, they're curious, uh, they're looking for new opportunity, they ask good questions. And then, if they, and then that desire to listen, if they are always either they're listening to their teams, they're listening to their customers, they're listening to coaching. If somebody has those three values, even if their performance might you know, waver in a moment for whatever reason, that for, I'm going to go I'm going to go to bat with that person. I'm going to invest in the person that is always looking for an opportunity to lead. They're always trying to learn something and they, they're a good listener. Um, 
if they don't have those things, then to your point, that's where you run through that checklist. Because uh, those are usually good culture fits too. When, when people have those three basic elements of showing up for work and, you know, they're trying to lead, they're trying to work hard, they're trying to, they're trying to learn something new today and they're willing to listen. I mean, who can go wrong with that? Yeah, really, really. Wow. So much to think about there. Um, you know, as a leader, well, so, so I actually, I want to hear some other stories, right? I, you know, you know me, I, I, I always love the good ones. Yeah. I want some good juicy ones. Um, <laughs> so, so tell me, uh, tell me a story, uh, a story or two of some great examples of leadership you've experienced in your lifetime. This is a chance to highlight some people. You don't have to name names or, or whatever, but, mm-hmm. but highlight some, some examples of things that maybe shaped you specifically, you know, some events, some things that were out there. Mm-hmm. All right. So I'll give you one uh, Marine Corps story. So this was uh, I was responsible for the drill instructors um, down at the Marine Corps Recruit Depot in San Diego. And every officer has a senior enlisted representative. So you got a kind of a young college guy and then you're always armed with a uh, enlisted counterpart who has probably more experience than you. And uh, when I was down there, there was a guy that, that was my uh, sergeant major. He was my first sergeant at the time. And he was a character. Uh, he was the most progressive leader I've ever seen. So you're in the, you're, it's the Marine Corps, right? So remember yeah, we, all the stuff you see on the, TV. The, we all have the image of the, the drill sergeant in the Marine Corps, that's right. right? That's right, right? So hard as nails. And, and a lot of that is a highly, highly professional group of, group of individuals. Um, he was so progressive in the sense that he was talking about and working through work-life balance, taking like, how do we balance within a cycle? Cause a training cycle is really demanding. Um, in addition to kind of the, the Marine Corps one-on-one stuff, because we, we were also responsible for, you know, their kind of their lives. Um, but he was such a kid. The guy raised iguanas. He was this big, you know, always had a, a chew of tobacco in. I mean, just like all the, when you looked at him, you would think that this was, you know, someone who is not progressive. We'll just call it that just on, on the surface level. And the guy was a genius. Um, and he was so good. And what I learned from him specifically was he knew the individuals in the organization so well, that guy built teams. So, I mean, he built the drill instructor teams in a way that, you know, with the chemistry of the people, their strengths, their weaknesses, acknowledging different people's weaknesses, knowing the strengths, knowing how the chemistry came together. But he was also progressive in the sense that, you know, we had to, to move people around and he would send good leaders out to, to secondary jobs early so that we knew we had good leaders coming back instead of just sending people that didn't. So give your best, you know, always give your best. And the, and the guy, I mean, uh, you know, we're in the middle of a training cycle and he comes and he goes, hey, hey, sir, you want to go fishing? And I'm like, how can we go fishing? It's in the middle of the cycle. He's, oh, they got it. We're good. And he had this big southern drawl. And, and so we're out fishing. And even me, he taught me about the fact that when you do, when you build good teams, when there's a clear objective and, and defined principles, you can go, you can go take care of yourself. And, and we had a great work conversation and we, we caught, we, he caught fish. I boated. <laughs> A terrible fisherman. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was just a really, a really cool scenario, a really cool situation. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, I, I, you know, listening to your story though, I wonder how the privates were feeling at that particular moment. Well, they don't like any of it. I mean, yeah. they, they, you know, there's a whole bunch of different stories around that, but yeah, well, but that has its purpose also. It does. It you does. Know, I, I remember one of my best friends in college when he, when he went joined the Marine Corps. Um, well, he, he went he went to, to officer candidate school, and um, but of course he still has to go through basic. And mm-hmm. he would describe some of the basic, and, and it was it was amazing because you know you talk about just the level of respect you have to have for your drill sergeant. And he said, my drill yeah. sergeant. He said, my drill sergeant never yelled once. As a matter of fact, mm-hmm. he talked barely above a whisper. But if mm-hmm. you didn't commit, if you didn't follow his command, you knew you were in trouble, right? And um, yep. so command is not necessarily about yelling, screaming, etc. But it is it is about it is about a certain amount of control, and and there's even delegation in that. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's a mutual respect there, though. So uh, when I was at officer candidate school, so the officer version of uh, boot camp, one of the drill instructors, I had written something about one of my peers that was unprofessional. I was I really thought he was a terrible leader. Yeah. And the drill, the drill instructor took me outside, took his cover off and said, hey, you're going to be an officer. You can't do that. And spoke to me man to man, you know, heart to heart. And it was there was no lieutenant uh, or or drill sergeant, or excuse me, drill instructor. And that was a powerful moment. Powerful moment. Wow. 
Okay, well, so here we are. We're up again another break. Time really flies fast. So uh, we'll be back in just a couple of minutes to finish up with Chris. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Mexicute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. For a free consultation with Chris Elias, visit nexecutegroup.com. That's N-E-X-E-C-U-T-E group.com. True results happen where culture meets execution. The Execution Culture, co-written by our host, Chris Elias, is designed to make your company smarter, faster, and stronger by sharing real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture. The book is available now on Amazon. Click the link on the show page. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And again, we're back with Chris Homewood. So, Chris, we, we, we talked about um, kind of some good examples. How about a bad example? I mean, can, can think about any time in your career. Um, you know, can you think of a situation when you just walked away shaking your head saying that, God, that was terrible leadership and what happened? Yeah. Um, unfortunately, you know, the, those, those scenarios happen. Um, I'll, I'll keep the, uh, the, the brands and the names, uh, separate, but, uh, I was, um, interviewing for a role. Um, and this was, you know, well, probably 10 years into my career. Um, and, uh, it was was going through this process, and it, you know was meeting with a meeting with a couple of people, um, and one of the one of the conversations turned to you know college and where he went to college, and like I said, this was well well into my career, um, and you know the the observation that the person made was around the fact that they thought I went to the wrong college, um, I didn't go to a big enough college, I didn't have the right degree, which was really odd to me because it. It, like I said, it, it spoke to something that was, like I said, 10 years old at the time. And I had a, a whole bunch of results and a whole bunch of things that, um, that I had accomplished, you know, in the organization um, prior to that, or, you know, certainly after that point. Um, I thought it was narrow-minded, uh, you know, and, and again, I think that the kind of the easy buttons in leadership are, are those, those high, high value touch points. Um, and, you know, that, and it just left a really kind of a bad taste in my mouth about where the values of the company were as far as what, what really mattered. Um, you know, another example uh, was in a, in a role. Um, and I think that the, the theme of these examples has a lot to do with uh, how culture matters. Um, you know, and, and it goes in a couple different places as far as trying to help someone understand or, or trying to get your point across on, you know, why work from home is a, is a good idea. And this was before COVID, right. Um, you know, and, but there's this kind of old school mentality that, that, that can't be done. Um, I was told that I laugh too much and smile too much, um, to be an effective leader, uh, which again, I thought was, was ludicrous. I mean, if, if it was inappropriate, certainly, you know, but that, that's a different kind of conversation. Um, you know, th- those things where it, you feel like the leaders are, are disengaged. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I've had leaders tell me that I wasn't allowed to talk to other people. Uh, again, if, if I said something, then I should know what that is. But just on the general term, uh, you know, anything that, that comes out from left field or, or that makes you feel less valuable as a leader. Um, those are the points when, when I, my engagement just torpedoed. 
you know, and, and where you could, you could peel me off the floor in that moment. And that's when, you know, you go, what am I doing here? You know, is this, is this really a good organization? Yeah. You know, and, and you really get to, to another thing that's important is it's about fit, right? So we often don't mm-hmm. say it's, it's not really about good or bad people, but it is about good or bad fit. And every company mm-hmm. has a culture. Yep. You know, a good culture is one that's designed and emphasized and driven and a poor culture is one that's accidental and not, not focused on. But it's amazing how we'll perceive things like we perceive a negative culture based on our own value system and our, and, and our own cultural desires. And, 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 and sometimes that's also why somebody isn't a good fit for an organization. And if we identify those people, we should move them out. But if, if we ourselves are identifying in a place that's a bad fit for us, it's also a good idea to move. So becoming disengaged and all that is, is, a, is I think it's a very, very normal thing. The, the, mm-hmm. the sad ones are the ones that stay on any Anyway, maybe it's because of right. money or something else. But then, then you got just a miserable job, just a yep. miserable job. So all these things have led to the leader you are, which has led you to now a position of being a president of a major corporation. How have you incorporated this, incorporated this into driving success within your organization today and your teams and all of that? Yeah, it, it really, um, it, it's a privilege, right, and a responsibility to try to remember all this stuff and, and to, to pull it all together. Um, you know, the way that I operate and I think what's been really exciting about this role, and it is the, the first president role that I've had to date, um, is that you get to build the, you get to build it. Um, you get to set the pace and you get to define what people, what matters to the, to the organization. So for me, you know, vision, mission, purpose, uh, we started with core values. Um, you know, we started with what are the things that, that, are who are the people that we want to hire and what makes them tick. Uh, and I was bringing three companies together. So we had three different cultures that we had to integrate and the exercise of, of going through and identifying what those key drivers were, what those key traits are, and then defining what those values were. Um, and we came up with, you know, heart move, real curious coach. Those are the values that, that came out of our exercise. And, as a president or as, you know, as the point man on a company, that to me was the most important thing uh, that I had to start with at least. And, and there's a lot of very important things. But once we got that, then we were able to engage the organization in a way that allowed those values to kind of, you know, cycle out into the organization. And, and that's where you get that engagement, where individuals start to own it. You start to see those examples. It becomes the language of the organization. And we're not there yet. I mean, it's, it's you know, it takes time to do those things. So, you know, we're, we're pushing those out. I think the other part of that, too, then is, you know, from the business aspect of it is you get the people, you get the language, you get the culture. And then how do those results translate? Because even if you have a great culture, but you're not executing, what's, you know, then you're, you're in the history books. So tying KPIs, um, tying specific initiatives, prioritizing initiatives so that not only do we have a culture um, where results matter, where we want to move, where we want to be real with each other, where we want to coach each other to, you know, to thrive, um, what we do and how the way that we show the value is by executing. I mean, that gets other people interested. That's where other people start to look at, at your organization and say, wow, there's this really cool organization, this really cool culture. Here, but they're also killing it. Um, you know, they're doing a really good job. They're driving results. They have a, a culture of accountability. Um, there are specific milestones and, and people know what they're expected to do and they know what the score is. You know, if, if you've got this really cool culture, but you, if you're moving, if you're not moving in any direction or you don't know what the score is with those KPIs, you're spinning. Um, and, and I will tell you that, that the combination of the two has been very challenging. Um, you know, that the culture piece was a little bit, I wouldn't say easy, but th- that tends to be a little bit of my bias. But then tying those KPIs, identifying those KPIs and get the organization to, to really function around those and stick to it. Um, that's there's some work there. There's yeah. absolutely some work there. Yeah, without question. Without yeah. question. And so, you know, so so you guys were a tri-merger. Mm-hmm. And um, that, which is rare. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. a merger of two companies happens a lot, but but three all at once is 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 difficult. And, yeah, um, and, and I'm not a good juggler. Yeah, I mean, no, no, hard. no. And and it's yeah. an exponential increase in complexity. It's not. It's not right. just like oh, it's just one more. It's it's like ten more. I mean, it's just yeah. it becomes that much more complicated. Um, you know, and in in trying to tie it all together, uh, 
you know, how many people actually did you lose? So, so sometimes what'll happen is obviously there's redundancies, there's going to be reductions and all that, but mm-hmm. sometimes you just lose people because it's not the right place. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, tell me a little bit about, about any kind of, you know, staff shrinkage that occurred during that period of time and, and how you, you got to a point where, you know, I mean, I know your organization today, you've got a great group of people who are all highly focused and highly aligned and they're aligned at mm-hmm. that values level. I mean, as, 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 as you, you know, that work was done, um, how, you know, tell me about that path and, and, and what occurred. Yeah. The, I think it started with that acknowledgement that not everybody was going to get to play. And, and in order for something to mean something, you have to be able to stand for it. And it means saying no, um, you know, and kind of going back to raising kids. If you never say no, your, your child doesn't know what to stand for, what you stand for as a parent and, and works not that much different. So our ability to align on those culture, those culture values and those core values we had to have a kind of a handhold session to say, okay, do we all acknowledge that if we say that this is what matters in an organization and this is the people and we're, we put it on our interview form, we put it on our annual review. So this is really, this is going to matter. We have to acknowledge that there are going to be people that maybe are, are high performing, but don't match our value system. And we're going to have to deal with that. Um, and it, that we, there were some hard discussions. Uh, and I would say it was between seven and 9% uh, our attrition, depending on the company. Because uh, there were people that that just we knew that they they weren't going to make it, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, and, and we wanted to exit them because if they're not going to be successful in our culture, you know, well maybe you can go be successful somewhere else. Doesn't mean you're a bad person. Just means that you're not a good fit here. Yeah, yeah. No, that's 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 right on. And um, and you know the other piece that you touched on, which is also essential, is I'm gonna I'm gonna label as transparency. The importance of transparency, mm-hmm. right? The metrics, people knowing where they stand and, and where they go. Have you have you ever been part of an organization that that didn't have that transparency? And how does it feel to be giving up that? I mean, is there anything you're ever careful of, or um, things that you don't want to know, or or is it an open book? I mean, how how do you manage that? Yeah, I would say that the the industry that I'm in now, um, a lot of these uh, founders founders led cultures versus professionally managed. Um, so those cultures historically, it is generalization. Are, are the ones I walked into were not very transparent, um, and it, it felt really uncomfortable to me because going back to that model of pushing as much information down to the to the lowest level possible in order to make good decisions is core for me. Um, and when that information is not available or not, you know, it's not transparent, then again, you almost de facto create that me centered organization. We're back to where we started on all the information has to come through me. Um, so that, that lack of transparency was something that I, that I pushed against. Um, and that we, we ripped, we ripped the bandaid off really quick on that. And we, we delivered those KPIs and, and, uh, figured out quickly what, what we could communicate. So, I, I mean, there are, um, there are certainly examples of companies that just don't want to reveal the information. They're afraid, mm-hmm. they're afraid of what employees will do. For instance, oh, if they know how much money we make, they're going to be demanding you know, more raises and this and that and whatever. I mean, have you ever experienced that really to be true? Or? Why would you have people in your company that you're afraid of? Yeah. I mean, that, that logic baffles me. Yeah. It absolutely baffles me. I mean, if now, if you are hiding something um, or you don't have a, a pay structure that's equitable, I mean, but, but just, uh, yeah. So, I mean, uh, yes, I have been part of those organizations and it blows my mind. Yeah, I, I have to tell you. I mean, when I've argued with 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 leaders about that, I mean, my my, my commentary is is look, you know, the first argument always is, is is as long as you're paying them fair and commensurate, and and, and often cases the clients we work with are paying them a little bit better than scale or or equal mm-hmm. wage. I said, don't let them argue. But then you got to start asking a question: Do you have somebody who's there for the right reasons? You mm-hmm. know, the, you know, if you had that occur. Um, and I'm thinking in my lifetime, you know, in, in in my history, I don't recall a time ever actually having being transparent backfire on me, right? But mm-hmm. I've come across people who are afraid of it. 
And, um, you know, if I do have somebody who, who's going to be the kind of person who's going to hold it against me or, or, or all that, and they don't understand the work and involved and the risk of being a leader and why people get, you know, you know, people are going to get different levels of pays. Um, mm-hmm. but, if, but, you know, if, 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 if I've got people that are that toxic, why, why do I have them in the organization? Yeah. And, and it goes back to that dialogue. Um, if, if there is somebody that's interested in making more money, then give them a path yeah. and explain to them. And they should know what, what they can do to promote to the next level or to get more responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and there's just no, um, people don't leave because of money. I mean, it's certainly, again, if, if they're not, if you're not paying your people fairly, then you have a different problem. But study after study, literature after literature, I mean, there, it always comes down to, there's a lot of places that people can work. Yeah. And if you wake up in the morning and, and my, you know, my obsession is that I want people to, to have a really good place to work. And I want to know that people can, you know, do good work and work that matters and that they can win. And if you're working in a place like that, you know, like I said, the pay will be an issue until it isn't. Um, but they'll, they'll probably stick around because who doesn't want to work in a place like that? Yeah. Or, or, you know, I've had situations where, where good people have left, um, you know, for money. Um, you know, obviously there's always things that are going on, but come back because they didn't realize what they had before. And they sometimes become your best performers. Um, we got about a minute left. Um, I just want to touch on this. I, you know, in in your history, you know, we, we always have those moments where you shake your head, where you want to laugh, but you know, you can't, um, let's, let's, let's laugh a little before we're done. Any, any funny leadership stories you want to share before we wrap? So I was thinking about this. I mean, the, the one, this was, I don't know if it's funny necessarily. So I had one of my, a good, good performer. This was a target. Um, and he came in to resign to me, uh, and he was a really good guy and he thought he was going to get something different. And I let him explain, I let him talk about it. And he handed me his, his resignation and I looked at him and I ripped it up in front of him and I said, Nope. And he stared at me. He stared at me. He's like, how can you do that? And the HR manager was sitting next to me and she was looking at me going, Oh my God, what are you doing? I said, well, you're not going to resign. Like it's, I'm, I don't accept your resignation. I ripped it up in front of him. And we ended up keeping the guy. It ended up being a you know a happy story. But I think it you know it's it's fun <laughs> at times, you know, because you get to do stuff and and if you've got genuine intent and you know you can kind of have a, have a good time with stuff like that oh, and, yeah. and and help people win. Yeah, and and, and I, I just I could only imagine the look on that HR director's face. Shock. Yeah. Shock. You can't do yeah. that. Right. Not allowed. <laughs> Well, Chris, you know, I, w- I want to thank you for your time today. It was it was so great having you on. Um, you know, I always love our conversations, and I'm glad that we've had a chance to share this with our listeners out there. A um, lot of good stuff. Uh, honestly, I think we could probably go on for hours. Um, you know, to the listener group, if you like Chris, let us know. We'll bring Chris back on for another show and go go even deeper. There's there's so much more to the story, and you can only get so much in a few minutes. Thank you again for your time. Thanks everyone for listening, and um, we will be back with you again next week. Have a good day. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for joining Chris Elias for this week's edition of Transformative Experts. We hope you'll tune in again next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a good week.